Today we want to talk about the blessed life. Everybody wants to be blessed, right? There's a covenant that God made to Abraham many years ago. This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that guy, Abraham. And he made a covenant with him, outlined the conditions of the covenant, this agreement. And as it turns out, this covenant has now come to you and me. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and he said, the blessing that God made with Abraham has now come to the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the same covenant blessing that God promised Abraham has now come to you and me, and that is good news. And I want to talk about that covenant today, and we're going to study the words of Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 8, that's our reference today, so if you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. And we're going to learn that Moses was concerned that the people would forget that God was their source, that he was the power behind their liberation from Egyptian bondage, and that somehow they would forget when things started going well and they were blessed that they would forget God. So Moses was reminding them that it's the Lord who got them out and the Lord that sustains them and is the Lord who is the source of their wealth. And so it'll be a good lesson for us to hear. So I hope you'll be encouraged by it. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to begin at verse 11. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So if you're able, thank you for doing that. And Moses said to the people, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But verse 18, but remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And we got inspired and instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Here are a couple of facts. Jesus is the greatest financial counselor who's ever lived and the Bible is the greatest financial manual that's ever been printed. That's a fact. And here's what we know about the Bible. That the Bible has 500 verses that are designated to faith, the subject of faith and prayer. 500 verses to faith and prayer. You would say those are important subjects. And has over 2,000 verses dedicated to the subject of money and how to manage money. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is recorded to have given 38 parables. The Gospels record these 38 different stories that Jesus used to illustrate a point, these parables, and 16 of the 38 have to do with money and how to manage money, how to be a good steward. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's an incredible and astonishing biblical fact that so much of the Bible relates to this subject, and it could be that Jesus knows, God knows, that that money and the way we manage money is perhaps one of the best indicators, best reflections, one of the ways that we can mirror what we are really like, what our heart's like, what our motives are like. Now, last week, I, you'll remember that we talked about the widow who put two, two pennies in the offering, and Jesus thought it was really great. And we learned last week that it's not what you put in the offering, but why 
you respond to God with your gifts, your talents, your treasure. And the motive of your heart and the intentions of your heart is the most important thing. So it really doesn't matter what you give so long as you give with the right heart and attitude and motive. And that's a really important lesson to learn. And so there's something about this subject that reveals to us what we're really like. And that's why Jesus spent so much time preaching and teaching about it. So today's verse that I want to just emphasize and get to, because it has to do with this covenant that I want to talk about, comes from verse 18 from our text. And it says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant. Confirm his covenant. So there's some kind of agreement, some kind of contract, some kind of covenant that's been put into place, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. So let's talk about this covenant. There are three things I want to say about it this morning. You want to write this down. It's in your outline. By the way, you know, the devil hates it when people take notes in church because he hates it when you might learn something. And so I encourage you to write down the notes. Here's the first thing. And I want to talk about the principle of the covenant, the principle of this covenant. Now, what is this covenant? God made this covenant with Abraham, as I mentioned, gave him the terms of the agreement, And we find this covenant articulated in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Listen to these words. He says, I will make you, God speaking to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. Then there's a, there's a, a, a phrase sandwiched in the, in the middle of these verses, and it goes like this. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now, that's pretty strong, isn't it, coming from Almighty God? God says, whoever blesses the tribe of Abraham, the people of Abraham, I will bless. And whoever curses the tribe of Abraham, I will curse. <laughs> that's pretty strong. So just heads up on that. Heads up. On that, you don't want to find yourself cursing the people of God because the curse of God Himself will come upon you. You don't want that. You want God's blessing. You don't want His curse. Now, the last phrase of this this passage, and it says, I will will bless all the people of the earth through you. So I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you. And through you, All of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, understand the principle. This is the principle of the covenant. The reason that God's blessing comes to us, just as it went to Abraham and now comes to us as the people of faith, the reason the blessing of God comes to us is so that for the purpose of, in order that, the blessing of God might flow through us to the ends of the earth. God said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you. And because I bless you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So the subtitle of today's message is blessed to be a blessing. Are you getting it? You picking up? Blessed to be a blessing. The reason we are blessed is so we can be a blessing. The reason God blesses us according to this covenant, which is still in effect, is so that we can be a blessing to others. God is saying that he's empowering us with resources, with abilities, with influence, with all kinds of assets. He's, he's, influ- he's, he's bringing these blessings to us so that 
we can be an influence in the expansion of his kingdom around the world. That's what's going on here. So the principle of this covenant is about God expanding his influence through his people as the blessing flows. Blessing comes to us, blessing goes through us. I love uh, the statement from Dr. E.V. Hill. Uh, Dr. Hill is the late, great pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, and he had a lot of really cool sayings, but one that stuck with me years ago when I heard him say it is, if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. If God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. That's, that's a nice little catchy phrase, isn't it, that you can remember. And some people, some people you meet occasionally, uh, you ask them, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm blessed. You ever gotten a response like that? How's it going? I'm blessed. Now, you know, that's kind of an interesting response. It's nice. It's warm. It's good. Uh, sometimes a little goofy, but, but mostly it's good, right? And it's the right sentiment. It indicates that I'm doing well. My family's blessed. My needs are met. Uh, everything's good. And so to respond, I'm blessed, is a, good, is a nice response. However, it falls short of honoring the full expression of the covenant. The best way to express that, if someone asks you, how are you, and you want to say, I'm blessed, is to say, I'm blessed, and let me share with you how God is enabling me to be a blessing to the people around me. Because that's the fuller expression of this covenant. Look on the screen at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. This is a verse that all of you know. Look at it. It's more blessed to give than receive. Now, we, we know that's true, because there's, there's just a better feeling, there's a better response, there's a better effect on us when we give than when we receive. Now, receiving's okay, it's good, but giving is even better. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, many people quote this verse, but they don't actually understand it. Let me just add this nuance that will add to your understanding. It's more blessed to be on the giving end because it implies you've already been on the receiving end. No one can be a blessing until they have first received a blessing. And so the reason it's more blessed is because it implies that you have already received a blessing. Therefore, the greater blessing still is to give. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. So what is this increase and enlarge and made rich. What is that about? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? What's the point? It says, so that, so that, emphasis is mine, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So you're beginning to get it, right? Now look, I've just spent 20 minutes saying the same thing over and over and over again. You got it, right? One more time, let's, get, let's rehearse it together. We are blessed to, you got it. Deuteronomy 29.9 says it this way, so keep the words of the covenant to do them. Keep the words of the covenant to do them that you may prosper in all you do. See, God's blessing is tied to God's covenant. His blessing in your life is tied to the covenant he's made with you. Now, the concern then can be that that we think too small about the covenant. We, we think too small about the blessing. And when you say, 
you're a person who's blessed, the first thing that comes into our minds because we're selfish little creatures is what does this mean for my income? What does it mean for my assets? What does it mean for the kind of house I live in, the kind of car I drive? And so we, th- we think in those terms because that, you know, we connect those, equate those with blessing. But listen to me, that's thinking way too small. The, the better way to think about this is God is going to bless me, not just so my own personal life can be enhanced, my lifestyle improved, but because God has a greater purpose for the world, all the nations of the earth, through me, through us, his people. And so this covenant connection is so vitally important. Let me uh, tell you a little story. I just got an email from one of our missionaries that we support through our budgets here at Union Chapel. His name is Mark Rumchick. And Mark was a student at Ball State University, and he attended our church. And his uh, fiance at the time, now his wife Angie, and they work with Campus Crusade uh, crew in the Young Life Division, and so they do high school ministry. A handful of years ago, Mark was sitting in one of our worship services. He actually came to my office, asked for an appointment, and told me the story. He was sitting in one of our services, just like you are right now, and God spoke to him. He said, this thought came into my head. Now, Mark, Mark was a scholarship athlete. He was on the uh, volleyball team at Ball State, grew up in Ohio. So here's Mark. He's sitting there minding his own business in church. And God says to him, Mark, I am calling you to reach the National Hockey League for Christ. And Mark said, it was the oddest thought he'd ever had in his life. I said, that's very interesting, Mark. He said, no. He said, it was, it was, he said, I just dismissed it. I thought, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. What do I know about hockey? I don't know, or the National Hockey League, for that matter. I don't know, nothing. And so he dismissed it, but he said, in just a few seconds, it came more forcefully to him. I said, I'm calling you to reach the National Hockey League. Now he's, he's crying in my office because it so moved him. Okay, fast forward three years. He and his wife, again, working for Youth for Christ now in East Lansing, Michigan, in the three high schools in East Lansing. And what he discovers shortly after he arrives in East Lansing is that one of these high schools is actually the hub of the amateur hockey program in the United States. So the the national amateur hockey team comes to East Lansing every year. These kids are recruited from all over the United States. The best seniors and high school hockey players in America all moved to East Lansing. And, and from that place, they, they train on this hockey team. And they, they travel internationally and they, and they compete for the United States on this amateur hockey team. And they are the best of the best. And so every year, four or five or six of these team members from this amateur hockey team, this youth hockey team, they're drafted by the National Hockey League to play in the pros. And Mark told me two years ago, he said, listen, and I've arranged for one of these guys to live with us. He said, this vision that God gave me to reach the National Hockey League is starting to make sense. About 10 months ago, I got an email from Mark and it had a picture in it. And, he's, and all throughout the year, he said, pray for me because I'm trying to reach these kids on this hockey team, including the kid that lives with me. And he sent me a picture, and it was, it was eight of these hockey players in two rows, one on top of the others, in his, in his living room, in his house, in East Lansing. 
and they're all holding Bibles. And he's won eight of these kids to Christ in the first year. Four of them got drafted and are now playing in the National Hockey League. <laughs> How crazy is that? That's just so interesting to me. Two days ago, I get, I, now for weeks I've been getting an email because all these guys, they're seniors in high school, they come through this, this, this training center and then they all ship out. And now a new batch comes in. And Mark's emailing and say, pray that God will give me some strategy for reaching this next group. And so we've been praying for him. He came up with this idea to get him gathered and so forth. It's worked out beautifully. Two days ago, I get an email from Mark. He's shown me, it's a picture, and there are seven little commitment cards. On it, there's been a check mark. You can zoom in on it, where these kids have filled these out. I prayed a prayer today to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And this is how it makes me feel. And this is what I think about this. Seven of these cards. And two to, just this past week, he, he's won seven of them to Jesus already out of this hockey team. <laughs> he's personally populating the National Hockey League with Christians. <laughs> how cool is that? Blessed to be a blessing. You put money, you put a few bucks in the offering, you go, I wonder where that's going. It's going to support guys like Mark Rumchick. Because we're blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the covenant at work. You see how it works? It's reciprocal. It's, it circulates. It, 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 it feeds each other. We, it, it's, a, it, it's a repetitious cycle. The blessing of God flows, and when you're faithful to give and bless others, then the blessing comes. It gives God permission. If God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. And so this is the way it works. This is the covenant that God honors. And we should, and we should keep... We should keep our part of. So here's the second thing I want to say about the covenant. And that's the power. We understand the principle. We're blessed to be a blessing. The power of the covenant, though, is God's willingness to give us the ability to get wealth. That's what verse 18 says. It's, it's the Lord. Remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. Now, when you ask the average person, how does God give you the power to get wealth? And people may answer like, well, he, you know, he gives you the number to the $100 million Powerball. Yeah, that's how he does it. Sweet. There are people in this room, you would admit it, don't raise your hand, please don't say out loud I've done this, but there are people in this room who've laid down in your bed one night because you just turned off the news and they said the Powerball is up to $267 million and you lay your head down and you go, God, you could drop those numbers into my head while I sleep tonight just as easy as the world. You know what those numbers are. And God, I promise if you bless me with winning this Powerball, I will be a blessing to others. I promise. I'll be a giver. A lot of people in America think that people who have significant wealth are people who have inherited the wealth or just got lucky and got wealthy. Did you know that of all the millionaires in America today, 75% of all the millionaires in America, 75% of all of these millionaires in America are first generation millionaires. Nobody gave them anything. First generation. Reminds me of the story of, you know, the people, people who are just being frivolous with their life and undisciplined in their finances and money management because they think that one of their relatives is going to give them a big inheritance someday. 
Well, I don't have to, I don't have to be too disciplined because, you know, when, when mom and dad check out, they're going to give me a big pile. You need to stop thinking like that. That's not your money. Or they promised it to me. Maybe they have. Maybe you'll receive it. You shouldn't think that way. That's not your business, not your money. You should order your life. Totally dependent on God as your source. Reminds me of the story. A little grandson went up to his grandpa. He said, Grandpa, talk like a frog. Talk like a frog. Grandpa said, talk like a frog? Why do you want me to talk like a frog? Because Grandma said, as soon as you croak, we're all going to Hawaii. That's a good one. Stop thinking like that. Yeah. Let me tell you, there are two things right in the middle of your outline. There's no fill in the blanks. I just put them in there. This is how God gives you the power to get wealth. Number one, through the wisdom of God. And number two, through hard work and productivity. You know, the discipline to actually do what God tells you to do. The discipline... Once you've learned the wisdom of God in financial matters, then the discipline, the hard work, the productivity, the ethic in order to accomplish what God tells you to do. Let me give you five things. This is free of charge today that tends towards prosperity. This is true if you follow Jesus. This is true if you don't follow Jesus. These are biblical principles. These are, these are principles that God has set loose in the world. And they will tend toward prosperity. You should write them down. Number one is this. Establish a budget. Every dollar of your income has a designated place to go. It has a mission. It has a place for it to accomplish its work. Every dollar. If you don't establish a budget at the beginning of the month, then at the end of the month, every one of you, if you don't have a budget, you don't have a designation for every dollar that you earn, you won't know where the money went. And as you know, if you don't know where the money went, if you, doesn't, if you don't have it designated, you don't have a budget, dollar bills have wings on them, and they just fly away. You get to the end of the month, you go, what happened to all the money? This happens to everybody who doesn't establish a budget. So every dollar, Jesus said it this way, if you're going to build a house, you need to count the cost before you build it because you might get halfway done and realize you don't have enough money to finish. And people will go, what kind of a dope starts a house and doesn't even know how much it's going to cost? And, and, and that's the same principle. What kind of a person doesn't know how much money they're going to spend and how to, how to budget every dollar that they have? So establish a budget. It tends toward prosperity. Here's the second thing. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. That's what Financial Peace University is all about. This is the drum that Dave Ramsey beats. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. It postures you for all kinds of opportunity once you get unburdened from the debt. And so this is the drum. Um, it's, it's so, let me just share a reality. If you don't owe anyone anything, imagine your life like that. There's no mortgage. There's no car payment. There's no credit card bill. I have, I have nothing. I have no debt that's accruing interest in my life. None. I don't owe anybody anything. Let me, can you fantasize about that for a second? What happens to you then when you get paid if you don't owe anybody anything? Let me tell you what happens. Now you have money. You have money. Because it, it's now it's yours. You don't owe it to anybody else. The Bible, 
says over and over and over again throughout the scripture, and especially in Proverbs, that the borrower is the slave to the lender. Nowhere in scripture will you find a biblical principle that suggests you borrow money in order to accumulate wealth. Now, that's not to say that borrowing money is evil and it's wrong and it's sinful. I'm not saying that because there, you know, most of us have spent some part of our lives and maybe still our lives paying off a house mortgage. And so, so there, you know, there's application where it's appropriate and it's okay. But the idea of getting out of debt is a really strong biblical notion. Nowhere in the scripture will you find... A, and, and the Israelites were backed up against the wall financially, uh, and the Amalekites, you know, were ready to destroy them, so they issued a bond, took out a loan, you know, to buy some more equipment. You know, I mean, you just never see it. It's not there. So get out of debt. And again, that's what financial peace does. It gives you the steps to get out of debt. That's what you learn. This is the wisdom of God, and then the discipline to do it. Here's the third thing. Develop meaningful relationships. What's that got to do with money? It's got everything to do with money. Uh, marriage is grand. Divorce is about 50 grand. <laughs> Developing meaningful long-term relationships tends toward prosperity. Divorce, single parenting, these kinds of life status tend toward poverty and not prosperity. Long-term meaningful relationships. Did you know that over the course of time, that in your life, listen to this, the closest social associations, the closest friends that you have in your life, your income will be within 10 to 15% of the people that you are closest to socially. Over time, this won't happen maybe tomorrow, but over a period of years, your income will be within 10 to 15% of the people you are most closely associated with. That is interesting. The Bible teaches it this way. The Bible says bad company corrupts. Bad company corrupts. So what you want to do is you want to find meaningful relationships with people who are, who are pulling you up and not dragging you down. People who are encouraging you and not discouraging you. And so you want to develop these kinds of relationships. These are the kind of people who are optimistic and hopeful and enthusiastic and ambitious. These are the kind of people who get jobs. And these are the kind of people who get promoted in jobs when they, when they develop meaningful relationships. When you learn how to play well with others in the sandbox, this tends toward prosperity. So these are the kind of relationships you want to have. Now listen to me. I'm 63 years old right now, and I'm, I'm approaching that geezer stage when I find myself no longer caring not only what I say, but how I say it. You run into some folks, you know, a, a person gets a certain age and they say something, you just go, well, that's an old guy. I guess he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> I kind of feel that way. So some of you have children who are still on the government dole, young adult children wanting to live in your basement. And what you need to do to them is kick their sorry behinds out. Tell them to get a life, to get a job, and figure it out. And stop, stop expecting from you what doesn't belong to them. You've heard me say a thousand times. 
Your young adult children have a God-given right to their own poverty. Now kick them out. You're not doing them any favors enabling them by letting them live in the basement. So stop it. Wake up. Grow up. Get a job. Let's see, it's geezer talk right there. Did you, <laughs> did you follow that? Felt good. <clears throat> what about my feelings? Geezers don't care about your feelings. Talk to the hand. <laughs> now, that's a geezer expression. That's from 1980. Okay, you kids, some of you didn't even know what that was. Talk to the hand. See, never heard that before. <laughs> Hilarious. Some of, some of you, listen, you have family relationships. Maybe it's your parents or maybe, maybe it's your brother or maybe it's your cousin or somebody. And, and you haven't established the boundaries, financial boundaries, relational boundaries in your own family. And you let them cross over the boundary and expecting you to take care of them in some level. Some people in the room right now, you need to reestablish your, your relational and financial boundaries and tell your relative to go take care of their own business. So it's the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. Listen, so there are too many Christians who live in a frivolous way, undisciplined way, uh, unwise way. They walk right up to a financial cliff, and then somehow they think God's going to bail them out. God, I'm about to fall off this financial cliff. Jesus, I have faith. Please rescue me. And you fall off the cliff, and Jesus goes, hey, dude, you don't have wings. That's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. Wake up. It's the Lord who gives you power to get wealth. And let me tell you what it is. It's about establishing a budget. It's about getting out of debt. It's about, it's about building meaningful relationships. And here's a fourth thing. It's about saving and investing. Dave Ramsey teaches that everyone should, give, should save and invest 10 to 15% of their income. 10 to 15%. Because people who discipline their lives and are able to do that, these are people who tend toward prosperity. The, the illustration that he uses, and maybe you've heard me repeat it, if a, you're a young person, you're 25 to 30 years old, and you have 40 years to work, like between 25 and 60, 30 and 70, and you take $100 a month, $100 a month, and invest it in a higher earn, interest earning Roth IRA. Roth IRA is just a, one of those investment structured things uh, that you pay tax before you put the money in. So w once the money accumulates on the backside, you don't have any tax responsibility or liability on the back end. It's a great, it's a great product. So, so he, he simply says, if you take $100 a month, when you're 25 years old and you do that for 40 years, now $100 a month for 40 years is exactly $48,000. So it's $48,000. That may sound like a lot, but over 40 years... You know, you're going to earn, people in this room today are going to earn or have earned in the, in the, in this, this 40 year period between two and $10 million. So $48,000 is just a tiny little fraction of what you're going to earn in the next 40 years. And so $100 a month, put in a, a higher interest earning Roth IRA for 40 years becomes $1,176,000. It's the miracle of compounding interest, $48,000 becomes a million dollars over 40 years. 
with no tax responsibility. Now, imagine this in your life. Just imagine this. You get to retirement age, and you've, you've got some savings over here. You've got maybe a house that you own. Uh, you, you've made some other investments. Maybe you have another retirement plan or something like that. And on top, Social Security, you know, might, might kick in, might not, who knows. And, and so here, and so on, and on top of all of that, you just got a million dollars sitting over here in, a, in an account in a Roth IRA with no tax implications. I've got all this other money, plus I got this extra million just sitting here that I can do anything I want with. Absolutely anything in the world I want to do with a million dollars. So Ramsey's, Ramsey's phrase is so that you can live like nobody else and you can give like nobody else. And so Ramsey's, Ramsey's mantra is, if you're, if you're uh, 25 to 35 years old and you retire broke, you don't re- if you don't retire a millionaire, then there's no one to blame for that except you. Well, I don't have $100 a month. Sure you do. It's the cable. It's the phone. It's the latte. Beth and I were just remarking last night. We came and went from church across town. We were amazed at how much traffic there was in Muncie last night, Saturday night. And, there, and all the restaurant parking lots were full. And the parking lot at the mall was crowded. And the parking lot at the, at the movie theater just down the street was completely packed. And now the parking lot at church wasn't completely full. But, but we wondered. We wondered. You know, are there thousands and thousands of Muncieanans who have enough disposable income after, after their budget in order to let them go out and eat at a restaurant every Saturday night, and maybe take in a movie, which is expensive, every Saturday night? And maybe so. Maybe, the, maybe the, everyone's just managing their money perfectly, and it's not, they're not charging that to a credit card. I doubt it. So save and invest. And then the fifth thing, and this is all free of charge, is to be generous. Establish a budget, get out of debt, develop meaningful relationships, save and invest, and be a generous person. Be a giving person, not just with your money. Listen, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus for this to make you wealthy. These are principles that God has put in place in our world. You find them throughout the scripture. They are consistent with biblical teaching And they will make you wealthy whether you follow God, honor God, or not. Because they work 100% of the time. What's giving got to do with it? Here's something that you will find in common. Books have been written about people who are millionaires. And books have been written in in our culture by people who have studied uh, DECA millionaires. People who have at least $10 million in assets and more. And discovered characteristics of those people in that category and and they've discovered dozens of similar similar characteristics of people who accumulate that much wealth they all have the same patterns and one of the top patterns in all of their people's lives is that they're generous they give not just their money they give their money but not just their money they give their time they give their talent they give their emotions they give their energy You know, you don't want to be stingy with your compliments, stingy with your emotions, stingy with your relationships. You want to be open and hopeful and encouraging and optimistic. You want to to give people what they need to encourage and bless and inspire. That's, That's what, 
You know, this all comes full circle. This is back to the meaningful relationship piece. People who are giving in life, generous in general in life, these are people who's, who tend to float to the top. These are folks who tend to be prosperous. So you can see that it all works together and these principles are interlocked and it matters. So this is the power of the covenant. It's the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. The wisdom of God and the discipline to practice it in all of these categories. Let me just say one more thing will be done. This will be brief. The third point, the place of the covenant. Now when the nation of Israel had been extricated from Egyptian bondage, 400 years they were slaves in Egypt, now they're free, and they're wandering in the wilderness of the Sinai Desert. And you'll remember that all of the 12 tribes were there, and God instructed Moses to build a tent. He called it the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the symbolic representation of the presence of God. It was the epicenter of the cultural and religious life. And so in the wilderness, they'd set up the tent, this tabernacle, and then the 12 tribes would camp around it. So for 40 years, God lived in a tent. He was camping. <laughs> using the RV world. Then they moved to Jerusalem, which became the capital city of Israel. Was it, it's always been the capital of Israel. It was then, and it's the capital of Israel today, and despite what anybody else says or thinks. And so in the, in the capital city of Jerusalem, they built a temple. So this was bricks and sticks. So God lived in a house made of bricks and sticks. Now, let me ask you this question. Where does God live now? He lived in an RV for a while. Then he lived in a house for a while. Where does he live now? Where does God live today? Where is the dwelling of God? Since the day of Pentecost, God has chosen not to live in buildings made with hands. God has chosen to live in people. So we are the dwelling of God. Paul said it this way, do you not know your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling place of God. So God lives in you and me. So wh where, where is the presence of God? Where is the representation of God in the world today? It's in us, the people of God. Anywhere the local church assembles like this. God comes in with us, and when we are assembled together, the Bible says that we are like living stones, one upon another, being built into this holy temple of the expression of God's work. So the covenant now that we've been talking about, this covenant, the place of this covenant is the local church. So when the Bible says bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, it's talking about the local church because this is the epicenter of where God's activities conclude. This is, where, this is where meaningful relationship with God is made through an understanding of his word. This is where covenant relationships, meaningful long-term relationships are established. This is the place from which people are blessed. People who are going to play in the National Hockey League and influence people in the National Hockey League for Jesus, these people, people there are the beneficiaries of the blessings that have come to Union Chapel. So now the blessing that comes to us goes through us out to the National Hockey League and goes through us out to the nation of Kazakhstan and goes through us all the way to Cape Coral, Florida, where Gulfside Church is having their first big promotional, uh, invitational weekend this weekend, this morning, 
where Paul Erminger has a special guest there and they've, they've had a, have a special effort and they're expecting a big crowd at Golfside Church this morning. And so all the way there, or to Fort Collins, Colorado, where we planted a church there, or in Nashville, Tennessee, where we're going to plant a church this fall. And so all of these ways, it comes to us and now goes through us. It's part of the covenant. We are the dwelling place of God. We are the epicenter of this covenant connection. And it is so important that you not only see it, but understand the, the value of it, not only in our lives together, but in your lives personally. So that you can see yourself as a participant in this powerful covenant of God's blessing that he wants to give to you so that through you, the nations can be blessed. That's good preaching. That's good preaching. I don't know. 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 Now, one of the ways this blessing gets conferred, then we're, we're done. This is it, coming in for a landing. 500 feet, coming in. Citation 10, coming right on in. One of the ways this blessing gets conferred is through the spoken word of designated spiritual authorities. This is God's way. In the Old Testament, we see all kinds of examples of this. For example, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that guy, had 12 sons. The 12 tribes of Israel were named after each of his 12 sons. When Jacob was on his deathbed, he called in each of his 12 sons. And he pronounced upon them a blessing. Every single one of them got a unique and special blessing from their father. And every one of those 12 blessings came true 100%. Everything the father said about each of those boys came to pass. He conferred the blessing of God because God honored the designated spiritual authority. This has been true for the Jewish people for all of these centuries, these millennia. In fact, when you think about Jewish people in America today, what do you think about? Do, do you think about people who are wise? How about shrewd in business? How about prosperous, successful, influential in media, politics? Yeah, it occurs to you. What's going on there? Do you know what percentage of the prison population in America is? People of Jewish heritage? Less than 1%. That's interesting. So here's what I want to do with us this morning as we conclude. I am the designated spiritual authority at Union Chapel. It falls to me. There is a lot of responsibility to that, but there's also great privilege. And this is one of the privileges. I have the opportunity to pronounce blessing on you. And that's what I want to do. We are blessed. We are blessed. We've been blessed for many, many years. And the blessing of God comes upon us because God knows that he can trust us with his blessing. When God sees that he can get it through you, <laughs> he'll give it to you. And so we've, we live under an open heaven at Union Chapel. We do. For years we've, we have. The blessing of God comes to us because God knows he, he'll he can trust us to be a blessing to others. And so I want to bless you today. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Receive this blessing. 
Lord, we thank you for this covenant promise that you have made to us through Abraham and now to us as Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ that we are postured to receive and to be part of this covenant. And so now I pray in Jesus' name and pronounce on all of my precious friends, all the people associated with our church, I pray and declare your blessing upon them. Be blessed, my friend. Be blessed in your lying down. Be blessed in your rising up. Be blessed in your going out. Be blessed in your coming in. Be blessed in your relationships. Be blessed in your families. Be blessed in your marriage. Be blessed in your parenting. Be blessed as a child in that home. Be blessed in your career. Be blessed in your business. Be blessed in your finances. Be blessed. Receive the blessing of Abraham. May it come upon you in your emotions and in your mind and in all of your meaningful relationships, your friendships, your business associations. Be blessed. Receive the favor of God. Be encouraged. Be encouraged in your physical health. Be blessed in your body. Be blessed. Receive the energy of God, the wholeness of God, the healing of God. Be blessed in every dimension of your life. Whatever your hands find you doing, be blessed in that. Receive God's special touch, special favor, special power, special provision. Be encouraged, be hopeful, be inspired, be blessed in the wonderful and strong name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you receive that blessing, say amen.